welcome to another episode of my podcast, Get Creepy With Me. I hope you had a great week. I hope your week was better than mine was. I have been so sick since Wednesday. Like, it's the kind of sickness where, like, I could not get out of bed. I was just, like, um... I was down like I I went into work on Wednesday and I just I had to leave within like two hours of being there I was like I cannot do this and um then I just took the rest of the week off and um I think it was the flu but I didn't quite go and get tested for anything because I had um a fever for like a day and then it broke and I was like, well, unless if it goes back up, I'm not really going to go and get checked out. But, you know, regardless of, you know, I probably should have, but, um, I've just been like heavily medicated on cold medicine and vitamins and all that good stuff since, um, Wednesday. And I've been feeling a lot better, but I'm still like, congested so I'm sure you can like hear that in my voice I thought this week I would just kind of talk about some more mysterious news stories I always kind of have fun with that and I never really prepare before I start recording I kind of just like pull these up um and just kind of go through because I like the idea of like reacting to them while uh, my listeners are hearing them for the first time. It's kind of like we're just hearing the stories for like the first time and reacting together. I get these mostly from this Mysterious Universe website. They just, they sort of compile these weird news stories like each week from uh, around the world. And so uh, let's see, let's see what's uh, hot and fresh this week in the in the strange news uh, world. So there's actually something weird, like a weird new development, possibly in the D.B. Cooper case. There was this person who, like, did the same type of crime. They're looking at some type of, like, DNA uh, to kind of to see if, like, maybe this could be the mysterious D.B. Cooper. It starts with, his name is Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. He's a Vietnam veteran, experienced skydiver, and he carried out an almost identical skyjacking, they call it, five months after Cooper. So here's um, Richard Rick McCoy the third because I'm looking at the article. I'm like, wait, who is this guy? Because it's like a modern image, but then there's like all these images of, um, I guess, his dad. And um, even if like you look at his face, it almost looks like how they um, sketched uh, D.B. Cooper's like face. It, like he almost has like a similar like bone structure and whatever. Um, so anyway, his son, I guess, has been working with the FBI recently with a DNA sample to test against evidence, um, that came up about six months ago. So Rick told 
the U.S. son, that he's convinced that his dad was D.B. Cooper. He claims that his mom, Karen McCoy, told him and his sister on numerous occasions that their dad was D.B. Cooper. He was this, the infamous skyjacker and that she actually helped him plan both of his heists. This was April 7, 1972. A 29-year-old McCoy staged a nearly identical in-air heist above the United Airlines Flight 855 shortly after takeoff from Denver, Colorado. So McCoy, um, I guess when he did this heist, he had like a gun and a grenade in his hand. He demanded $500,000. Then he jumped from the aircraft over Utah. Now, unlike D.B. Cooper, McCoy was caught within like 72 hours. And then he was sentenced to 45 years in prison. But then he escaped after two years. Then he was killed in 1974 in a shootout with cops in Virginia. So despite his father's crimes, this Rick McCoy said that his devout Mormon dad was a good man and never intended to harm anyone. He said, here's what my mother told me. She told me during the hijacks, plural, so this is more than one, um, none of the weapons were live. His whole thing was either he was going to make it or they would kill him. But he wasn't going to harm anyone else. Or, you know, I, I guess he, he wasn't, he didn't really even seem like the criminal type. Um, so he says, my mom was adamant that my father would have never hurt anybody. There are only two outcomes. Again, either he would die or they would kill him or he would get away. But he wanted to make off with this money. So Richard McCoy has long been considered one of the leading D.B. Cooper candidates, um, which I, I really never knew that because I never really looked into the case of D.B. Cooper all that much. Um, but I guess uh, this was somebody, because again, he committed a very similar crime uh, around the same time. Um, but the only the only issue was like being able to prove that with DNA. And so, um, the McCoy family, uh, refused to cooperate with authorities for years. They wouldn't supply any DNA. So they could never test if Richard McCoy was D.B. Cooper because they just wouldn't supply the DNA or any other evidence to assist with the FBI's investigation, but now um, Rick says his family's stance changed after the death of his mother in December of 2020. Karen was, um, Karen, his mom, was an accomplice to McCoy's April 1972 skyjacking, so of course, you know, she wasn't going to give up any evidence about that because she wouldn't have wanted to, you know, convict herself in that but apparently she helped him plan the heist and drove him to the airport and all of that 
Um, so Rick McCoy and his sister claim that their mom also confessed to helping McCoy plan the Cooper hijacking, but waited until after her passing to come forward with the information because, again, they wanted to shield her from prosecution. They wanted to protect her. The FBI contacted Rick last year, just months after one of his father's old parachutes was discovered on his grandma's property that he believes could be related to the Cooper heist. He last spoke to the Bureau about the parachute roughly three months ago when agents told him it was being analyzed. So he gave them the parachute to kind of study. Um, the agents were actually excited by this discovery and they were very intrigued by his father's logbook of practice jumps. Um, you know, obviously now since he's passed away and the mom's passed away, it's not even really so much trying to convict anyone of a crime. It's just like trying to solve that mystery. I guess in these log books that Rick's father had uh, leading up to the Cooper jump in November of 1971, there were a whole bunch of like practice jumps that he was logging. Um, and it's interesting because they're saying, you know, all of those jumps were logged right before this D.B. Cooper skyjacking. It's like almost like there's some type of correlation there. Like maybe this really could have been him. He was, you know, practicing for months. Um, and the son says, I also had a copy of his jump instructor's logbook and the dates for the jumps. Um, so he gave that to the FBI as well. Um, so after turning over the evidence, Rick was asked if he'd be willing to provide a cheek swab for DNA analysis, and he reluctantly agreed to do that. So he said, you know, I want to see this get solved. You know, I'll, I'll give my DNA. Yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, we're still trying to solve the mystery of D.B. That's pretty cool, though, that they're still um, coming up with new evidence for that. All right, uh, what else is going on this week? There's these two, like, college students. So they're advertising this ghost-free certifying service. So basically, uh, these two college students have come up with an innovative new career designed to help landlords and sellers unload haunted apartments by um, certifying that the places are ghost free. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I'm not really going to try to pronounce that name. I don't think I'll get it right. Um, so anyways, it's um, these two Taiwanese students. And um, so one of them, he's 21 he said he would happily spend a night in an apartment where deaths have been reported just to ensure renters or buyers that there's no ghost in the residence. And so he says after spending a night um, free of any supernatural event, he would issue a ghost-free certificate. So basically, um, he's offering to stay at these places and like if he can determine that it's ghost-free, he'll give them a certificate. 
and he'll say and like give it to the the tenant and say like your your home is ghost free um he said he received several calls asking for details of the work that he does after posting his services on social media he's not set the fee yet for his services but right now the costs are negotiable he says he would also spend the night at a funeral home or other haunted venues um and let them know if the place is ghost free or not i'm not really sure what qualifies a person to be able to determine if a place is ghost free or not i'm not sure if he has some type of uh, intuition does he have some type of psychic ability or special equipment I don't know it doesn't really say what he does to determine that so this is just like a hypothetical one how would NASA warn us of an impending asteroid disaster actually how would they though I guess they're coming up with some type of international warning system or something like that. Isn't that terrifying to think of, though? So this is a scary fact. So there's about 2,300 known potentially hazardous asteroids, like, already out there. And roughly 153 of them are larger than 0.6 miles across. So it's big enough to trigger a catastrophe if one struck the Earth. That's pretty scary. So to find and track them, NASA and some of their other um, partners are looking for new asteroids in addition to tracking the ones that have already been discovered. And, um, oh, but here it says they found over 34,000 near-Earth asteroids with enough observational data. They can confidently predict the orbits of them. So that's kind of the goal of it, I guess. So they sent this uncrewed spacecraft into an asteroid to, like, shift its orbit away from the Earth. And I guess it worked. That's interesting. Because it, like, shifted the asteroid's course. So, like, there's ways that they could, um, you know, protect us. But I guess if the threat was coming in less than five years nasa wouldn't have time to deflect it so if like the asteroid yeah i guess because like with the speed of light and whatever like they they wouldn't have the time if it was like less than five years from us so what they would have to do is try to like minimize and disperse the impact of it i love these updates on like super old murder mysteries so i guess um they used ai to reveal what jack the ripper's face looked like he kind of looks like johnny depp <laughs> of course in the article they're like oh yeah he's he looks so hot like this dude killed a bunch of people of course made him look like this very handsome dashing gentleman with this darkly alluring wide-eyed energy so they made him look 
It says the dangerously dreamy drawings come courtesy of Jeff Leahy. I think that's how it's pronounced. So he is like this longtime Jack the Ripper enthusiast from Wales. He produced this mini-series on the murderer and has spent decades studying the lore surrounding one of history's most infamous villains. And so um, he was using this special software. It's called Mid-Journey Software, along with information and available photographs of the relatives of the prime suspect, Aaron Kizminski. So he was able to produce this portrait of what he thinks he looked like. He's like, it's astonishing to finally have this image of him. I was surprised at how striking the picture came out. Um, so Aaron Kuzminski is the prime suspect of this Jack the Ripper case. He was a Polish-born barber working in Whitechapel, the area of London's East End where the murders took place in the late 1800s. Kuzminski had been named by numerous experts as the Ripper. However, nobody was ever able to prove this. Um, so Leahy says, um, there's never been a picture of him, and this is the best we're ever going to get. So it's very exciting to finally put a face to the world's most notorious serial killer, he says, I have two pictures of his sister, Matilda, one of his uncle and another of a close relative. I had one of his brother-in-law, too, and the families were closely related, cousins marrying for generations. So that's still useful, he said. Oh, yeah, this is weird. The new portrait, however, bears little resemblance to the only known facial composite ever uncovered found back in 2022 in a UK police facility archive. The guy who created these images, he first found himself like interested, it says gripped by ripper mania at age 10 um, when his relative took him on a tour of the slasher's historic haunts. So I guess he's always been into like the dark history. And he caught, um, so Jack the Ripper caused this panic in London in 1888 after cutting the throats and mutilating the bodies of a series of sex workers in, in an impoverished section of the capital. So um, the world famous nickname originated in a letter penned by someone claiming responsibility for the killings. Many have been suspected, even royals, artists, and authors, but over the years, Kuzminski has emerged as a favorite subject. Kuzminski was admitted to a mental institution in the early 1890s, shortly after the killer's heyday. He died in 1919 at age 53. But um, if this artist's renderings are correct, then we might have an actual image of Jack the Ripper. Oh god, there's a new there's a new um snake that was discovered in the Amazon rainforest that scientists are saying it's the world's biggest snake. <laughs> and so I guess um this was spotted. Um it's an anaconda, it's twenty six feet long and it weighed four hundred and forty pounds. Oh 
It was observed in the northern regions of South America. So gross. But I guess it's called the northern green anaconda. So I guess it's like separate from the standard green anaconda. Um, which was like the only officially recognized um, green anaconda species in the Amazon until now. Now they're looking at the differences between like just the regular green anaconda and this one. And they're saying genetically the differences are massive. I mean, it looks massive. <laughs> Apparently, researchers have discovered the fastest growing black hole that consumes the mass of the sun and all the other planets combined. Um, like, every day. So, it's the fastest growing black hole ever recorded. Um... It's increasing the equivalent of one sun, like, every day. Um, it's roughly 17 billion times um, that of our solar system's sun. So, 7 billion times bigger. It exists within the brightest currently known um, thing being continually powered in the universe. It exists in a... Is it quasar? A swirling storm surrounding an active supermassive black hole at the center of a galaxy. So the black hole eats as much mass a single day as there is in our entire solar system. The sun and all the other planets combined. Uh, they're saying a lot of the light that comes out of this is about 500 trillion times the amount of light that our sun emits and it's about 20,000 times the amount of light from our Milky Way galaxy. Um, doesn't that sound kind of scary? They don't know what's inside it. I guess they've just been studying it. They're like, we, we have no idea like what's inside this thing, but they're just like surprised that it exists. But I guess that's kind of alarming. <laughs> uh, apparently some lady married an AI hologram after dumping a mannequin. Uh, in what sounds like an episode of Black Mirror, a woman will become the first person to marry an AI-generated hologram. She dated and lived with a mannequin called Pierre before. This kind of reminds me of that lady that was like married to the ghost that singer Bracardi remember her remember Bracardi so this woman is um her name is Alicia Framus and she is a Spanish artist that has become very intrigued about the developing relationships between robots and humans. And now she's taken it to the next level by planning to get hitched to AI-powered hologram called Alex or AI Lex in the name of art.
She believes that robots and humans will soon be sexual partners. So this is just taking the first step to develop that emotional relationship with her AI counterpart. Doesn't this kind of sound like that movie, Her? Like, we know how that ended. We know how um, it's not going to end well. I can tell you that. Uh, the artist fueled by the future is currently documenting her relationship with Alex, AI Lix, on, um, she has an Instagram page. Oh my god, this is so dumb. <laughs> like, the picture, I just saw the picture of her with this AI dude. This is so weird. <laughs> it's a romantic relationship between a woman and artificial intelligence. Alicia wrote in a social media post about the pair. We know that soon robots and humans will be sexual partners. Why do we know that? Just like, we know that. But for me, the next important step is emotionally involving artificial intelligence with humans. So in a Black Mirror-style press release shared to the page, she continued, holograms are closer to her emotions than robots. Love and sex with robots and holograms are an inevitable reality. <laughs> so we're just gonna have to do this make great companions and they're capable of expressing empathy no if i agree with that but... just as telephones saved us from loneliness and filled the void in our lives holograms as interactive presences in our homes can take it further ew this is so weird like her with this dude that's just creepy i don't know I don't like that. It just looks so creepy. Uh, but anyways, I guess she has a whole like Instagram page with him. Is it called Hybrid Couples? I'm going to search it right now. Hybrid Couples? Is that it? That's it. Hybrid Couples is the Instagram. This is so weird. Uh, there's that. <laughs> um, NASA is looking for volunteers to live in this, like, uh, Mars surface, like, simulation for a year. I would love to do that. So, I guess, um, well, they only need, like, four people, but Basically, you'd be living and working inside a 1,700-square-foot 3D-printed habitat based on NASA's Johnson Space Center. Uh, based at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. The habitat is called the Mars Dune Alpha, and it simulates the challenges of a mission on Mars, including... Resource limitations, equipment failures, communication delays, and other environmental stressors. So, if you were part of this crew living in this um, Mars simulated environment, you would be doing um, simulated spacewalks, robotic operations 
habitat maintenance exercise and crop growth. That sounds fun. So NASA is looking for healthy, motivated U.S. citizens. I guess I wouldn't qualify. <laughs> healthy and motivated. Uh, motivated sometimes. Healthy like almost never. <laughs> or permanent res residents who are not smokers. There's another thing. Oh, Lord. Okay. 30 to 55 years old. I would at least fall in the age group. Um, a proficient, proficient in English for effective communication between crewmates and mission control. This could be like a really good reality show. I mean, they did have that one with like the celebrities that were supposed to be like living on Mars. What was it Stars on Mars? That's That's almost what this sounds like. Is that what this is? Is this just another season of stars on Mars, but they don't want to say? Or just, like, average people on Mars, I guess. Because it, maybe it's just anybody that can do this, I guess. But, uh, yeah. So, I don't know how much you get paid for that. Don't really say. Uh, I assume. Oh, it says compensation for participating in the mission is available. But they, you know, they don't tell you how much. Um, I would do it. All right. Anyway. Um, let's see what else we've got. Other weird stories. So somebody ranked Britain's best zombie apocalypse hideouts. So if a zombie apocalypse happens... Um, there's 10 places in the UK where you could survive. Um, so let's, let's see what these places are. So I guess the Scottish Highlands, which just looking at it, it's beautiful. I guess they're saying it would just be a nice place to live out the end of the world. Um, <laughs> I mean, do you have enough food? Like, uh. What's all, what's all there? What resources are there? Um, I guess they're just saying the Scottish Highlands would be the safest place to go. It has super low population density, so that's good, right? Not too many people there. That would be important in a post-apocalyptic world. It has very stunning landscapes. That would provide practical benefits too. So you have like scenic trails and wilderness areas. That would be great for foraging, setting up remote shelters away from crowded places. Um, then they're saying the coastal region of, is it Argyll in Butte? I'm not sure if I'm saying those right, but... Um, I guess this is the area that stretches along Scotland's western coastline, and it includes the Isle of Mall. Um, so it's known for its remote and secluded setting. It's an ideal spot for surviving tough times. Its rugged coastline and plenty of wild spaces mean you could fish, forage, and build shelters away from busy cities. Um, then... 
And third, there's the Orkney Islands off the coast of Scotland. So basically, if the world ends, we have, you know, we wake up and zombies have taken over. You need to get your ass to Scotland. Or maybe get there before it happens. It might be easier to get there before. So anyway, I'm going to end with another unsolved case. Um, I've been doing these for the past couple of weeks. I was just looking at like cold cases or just like unsolved cases um, just around the country. I was going by state. I did one in Alabama, Alaska. Now we're in Arizona. Um, the reason I've been just looking into some of these cold cases, just trying to like help raise awareness. This is my, my way of trying to help and um, get the word out about some of these people who are missing or in some cases they um, you know, they were found, um, murdered, but the cases were still unsolved. Actually, the first one I did, though, a couple weeks ago for, um, Alabama, that one actually was solved as of recently. So, um, this website is great. It's called Uncovered, and you can go, like, you can follow all these cases of these people that are missing or, uh, if they've unfortunately been found murdered and um, you can provide tips if you know anything you can um, again follow the cases you can help raise awareness um, they give you a timeline they give you um, all of the available resources um, it's really just a great way to um, uh, get others involved in hopefully um, finding closure for these cases and um, or even finding some of these victims you know um, the case I'm looking at today um, this girl is missing um, you know there's always that hope that um, that people could be found with, um, you know, awareness and the enough people, um, getting involved. So anyways, this is the case of Chelsea Grimm in Williams, Arizona. Um, this was last updated January 22nd of this year, but she went missing. On October 4th which really isn't that long ago um, October 4th of last year so here's just an overview about her she's a talented young photographer and she planned to document her 2,860 mile road trip from her home in San Diego to a friend's wedding in Connecticut. Only a few days into the trip, though, she vanished. Her parents are Stephen and Janet Grimm. She was born on March 22, 1991. 
She was loved immensely. She grew up in Stamford, Connecticut. She attended Pace Academy in New York City, where she studied psychology. Chelsea is an incredibly vivacious and talented young lady, and she's got a heart of gold, Janet Grimm told Law and Crime. In 2019, Chelsea graduated from New York University with a master's degree in social work, where she worked for the NYC Department of Education, caring for 12th graders as a social worker. So soon after starting in that role, Chelsea was looking for more adventure. In 2020, she moved to Ocean Beach, California, where she settled into a beachfront neighborhood in San Diego. So while in the Golden State, she deepened her love for the arts and worked on her photography while maintaining her clinical social work license. So there was this fall wedding she was going to go to in Connecticut. So in last September 2023, she had plans to travel to Connecticut for a friend's wedding. She was using the opportunity to also see her parents. She originally planned to fly in for the wedding, but she learned that the airlines would not let her fly with her bearded dragon, Rox or Roxy. Um... So she decided to drive. There's a picture of her bearded dragon. So she packed her white Ford Focus SUV with camping gear, clothes for the trip, and her camera equipment. Um, they're saying she was spontaneous. She changed plans a lot. Stephen Grimm, her dad, told News Nation the magnitude of this adventure of driving across the country was a lot, though, even for Chelsea. Three days into the trip, she appeared to change her mind. She called her parents, saying she didn't think she could do the trip by herself. She told her mom that she planned on camping for a few more days and would then turn around to go back to San Diego. So she arrived in Phoenix, where she was supposed to meet with a friend for lunch, but she canceled her plans, heading to Williams, Arizona instead. On... September 28th, 2023, she had an encounter with a police officer. So from video captured by the police officer's body-worn camera, investigators learned that Chelsea did make it to Williams, Arizona. The police department got a call about a suspicious vehicle near a graveyard and war memorial, but it turned out to be Chelsea. So in this footage, she shares with the officer she was feeling okay, but she was upset. So they're showing she has a very distinctive um, ivy tattoo. So that's another thing they're saying you can look for. It looks like it's on her um, left arm. Um, so anyway, she said she was doing a photo shoot of the lost soldiers and got a little emotional. So she was crying before she got back on the road. And that's what she says to the officer from the driver's seat. So I guess like she was planning on documenting the lost and forgotten people for an art project during her trip. So Chelsea and the officer continued to chat about her photography and her bearded dragon before the officer asked if she was staying at a hotel for the night. 
Um, I don't, I was, so she said, I was actually thinking of just camping for the night, but I wasn't really sure exactly yet. I didn't, you know, plan to be here until sunset, she told him. The yellow lights appear, um, the loves, it's a trucker stop in the gas station area. You can sleep there. Nobody will bother you, the officer said. And she said, oh, perfect. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. So she ended up staying at the Loves that night. Now, she was seen again, but this was for the last time by a woodcutter in, um, on September 30th. So she was camping in her car near Ash Fork, Arizona. So Chelsea told her parents she might not have cell service while she was camping, but when they didn't hear from her for several days, her parents reported her missing on October 4th, 2023. The next day, her abandoned car was discovered. There's a picture of it. Um, so her locked car, so her car was locked. It was found with two flat tires by hunters. Um, this is Kaibab National Forest, just north of Ash Fork. Investigators note her bearded dragon was gone along with her wallet, driver's license, clothes, and sleeping bag. Her camera was found inside her car. Her parents said she was upset about her romantic life the last time they spoke with her. She was upset with a boy she was dating. She was scared of him. Um, we feel like she's running away from him. And I think overall that was affecting a lot of her mindset so basically her family's like we love you Chelsea we just want to see you again we want you to come home and so the investigation is still ongoing that's kind of where we're, we're left um, so they're asking that you contact the Coconino County Sheriff's Office um, the number is Nine two eight seven seven four four five two three. 774 You can submit a tip. If you know anything, just go on this Uncovered and search um, Chelsea Grimm, G-R-I-M-M. Um, they do include a timeline, so basically... September 23rd, she left San Diego. Um, so, it's kind of like she couldn't give her parents like a clear idea of what she was doing. I guess she said like, so on this day, she said, um, I packed my car, I have my tent, my sleeping bag, I might spend a couple of nights in a hotel, I might camp, I'll sort of see how it goes. September 27th, that was her last call with her parents. Um, she said she was going to skip her friend's wedding, stay in Arizona for a few days, and camp. And then her family said she sounded like she was going to head back to San Diego. But then, that same day... Um, she canceled a lunch date with her friend that she had planned for the following day. 
so that was really um the last day that they that the family heard from her but then um that's when the police officer talked to her september 28th it was like hey go to the love's gas station this and that and then um the 29th she was sleeping there so really the last time they saw her was on the 30th um when the woodcutter saw her camping and I don't know. The woodcutter said that you know she was okay, and that was like the last sighting. Are they questioning this woodcutter? <laughs> I mean, no, no offense, but like that's the last dude to see her. So just saying. Um. So anyway, after not hearing from Chelsea for a few days, then her parents reported her missing on the fourth. Um. But they said it's it was unusual to like not hear from her for that long. And then on the fifth of October, that's when they found her car with like everything gone except her camera, which is really weird. So there's been an extensive search. Um, this was in October of last year. Um, they conducted within the three mile radius around where her car was discovered. So her family believes that because of the intensity of the search, if Chelsea was there, she would have been found. The area is also popular among hunters and loggers, so they strongly believe that she's not there. So October 14th of last year, the family hired a private investigator to help with the case. Um, as far as I can see, that's where the timeline ends. I just wanted to see, because it said that there was like an update, last updated January 22nd, but it said that with the other one, there was like nothing new, so I don't, I don't know. I try to keep all these cases in my notes in my phone, because I, um, I do want to check back on all of these and see if like, you know, we find anything, uh, you know, any updates or anything. I'm not trying to put the blame on this woodcutter, but. So his name is Steven. He said it didn't seem like Chelsea was in any kind of distress, though he did offer to help her. Uh, but after this, nothing was seen of Chelsea. Her car was found. Blah, blah, blah. So Steven remains hopeful she'll be found. He's like, there's a chance she got a ride out of there. But it's been nearly five months since she was reported missing and she hasn't been found. So no evidence has emerged that would suggest foul play. So anyway, um, hopefully something will surface about Chelsea. Um... It's sad. Uh, again, that's kind of why I bring up these cases, uh, or why I wanted to bring up these cases each week, just to kind of see, you know, what uh, what we could maybe uncover um, with some of this stuff. But um, I know this episode is kind of all over the place, and I'm still like so congested. I just like I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. It's bugging me so much. <laughs> 
but I'm fighting through it. This is what I do. Um, thank you for listening again, as always. I will be back again next week with some more strange, weird, scary things to talk about. You never know what you're going to get from me, and I never even know what I'm going to get from me. <laughs> but anyways, um, I really do appreciate you guys. Thanks so much, and uh, until next week, take care. Bye.